you know, on the upside, maybe I got a little lucky on the downside. Maybe I got a little unlucky. Let me have like a, some sort of plan here. Mm-hmm. Some sort of cohesive, like consistency. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about success, again, I was going to say like the, the biggest reinforcer of success is winning over and over again. So for a gambler, it's, you know, the worst thing that could happen to a gambler is they just continue to win. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Okay, episode 22, we are on to the danger of success. Yes. Here with my partner in crime, Diane. Hello. Hey, y'all. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. And uh, so this one's the danger of success. And nobody really talks much about that. They talk about... The dark side of success. The dark side and what can potentially happen. And I think we started the post talking about investing and how kind of relating it to a casino, right? So short-term investing. So short-term investors, people that trade in and out of the market, trying to catch a bottom, trying to time things perfectly so that they can make a killing. You use the words that I love, catching the falling knife. Like people trying to time the freaking market. You're trying to catch a falling knife. You're going to get cut. Yeah. And just to, I mean, even paint even like a more crystal clear picture of catching the falling knife analogy. It's like trying to buy a stock when it's falling. Right. You're, right. you're thinking you personal experience with this. Yeah. Stock comes, you know, starts at $50, mm-hmm. it drops all the way down to 20. Yeah. I buy in, it continues yep. to drop to $7. Right. So basically, my investments, I thought I was getting a steal and I wound up getting more than cut in half on what I put into it. Yep. So that's the catch the falling knife analogy because I mean, you you can't time the market. That's the whole idea. So good luck with that. I mean, you could get lucky. I mean, people do get lucky and this is the day da- and this ties right into the danger of success. So as soon as you get lucky, the worst thing that could happen to you as a gambler is that you continue to win. Yeah. Right. It's not losing, you know, like just continuing to win is the worst reinforcement because well, because it makes it then it makes you feel like, oh, look how great I am. It's like, whoa. And I on. know something. I know something that other people don't know. I, I have this, right. you know, magical skill that, you know, skill. it's just, you know, it's in me. I was born with it. So, yeah. So you continue to win and then you start taking bigger risks because then you think, well, I'm winning and I know what I'm doing. And right. Look how good I am. I'm very skillful and, at this oh God. until you get screwed. And then, you know, this is why I don't date financial advisors. <laughs> <laughs> Look how good I am. Yeah. Like, how about now? Well, it's funny. A lot of financial advisors, it's funny. They're, they're relatively conservative with their clients and then just complete gamblers on their own. 
they're such assholes. Uh, like, I agree. No I, agree press, I agree with you. Company excluded. Like one hundred percent. I agree. Just, nope. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that. The last place I worked at, I'd have to say, yeah, I couldn't stand 80% of it. It's just, it, it wasn't, yeah, it, it attracts. There is an arrogant air to that profession, just financial advising in general. Like there was a, it wasn't narcissist, but it was a know it all vibe. And I was like, what is it that I don't like about you? Oh, yeah, you're condescending to me. Like, Dude. Competitive, basically alpha yes. male, ba- yes. you know, I mean, and you know, they had to like build a thick skin in that type of industry because you're literally just getting hammered and rejected all the Pummeled time, all the time, for whatever reason it attracts those types of people that can take, cause they don't care. They're narcissists. You know, well, they don't really, well, no, I guess that wouldn't really make sense. Cause then they'd be self-conscious. Right. I actually wrote about one of them after divorce. Like I was like, hmm, how would I describe you now? <laughs> you weren't that cute. Oh wow. You weren't that tall. Like you wanna you wanna date a writer. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you will become material. Yeah. And he worked in yeah. the financial advising industry. And he had a, a different career that was a, an additional red flag. Yeah. I'm one of the rare few that has like um I've done like one of those personality profiles. I've done a million of those personality profiles, like the Myers Briggs, and uh, you know. Oh, I just did another one the other day, and I got the questioner. Yeah, Strength Finder. I've done. I've done a, a bunch of them, and they all say the same damn thing. Yeah, they're like financial advisory business is the worst business don't for you. Do it. So yeah, <laughs> like you want on the hierarchy of things that you don't want to do. This is pretty much number one. I'm like, what? How do I end up here? And I've just tried to spin it for 20 years that like, I'm going to put my own spin on it. It's like, I'm not going to be like every other. I'm going to be the rogue real estate agent. Like, did I tell you? Yeah. I had a client years ago tell me I'm the most unrealtor like realtor they've ever met. Yes. I'm like, I appreciate that. I take that as a Yeah. I mean, I think that's the cool part about it is like, you can change it and you can have a different relationship with your clients. If you come from a space where you're authentic. Yeah, and you're not trying to sell them anything. Like you're just so, being who you fucking are. Like as soon as they know that you're not trying to sell them anything, they fucking listen, you know, and they freaking open up and they're like, oh, all right. He's not looking to like just push something down my throat. It's like I stopped marketing myself as a realtor over a year ago. Mm. Floods of people. They're like, Can you work with me? I'm like, what the hell? Like, I'm not even looking for this. Yeah. And it's like the minute that you stop. Yeah. It's when everyone wants you. It's like the whole vacation thing that I think we've talked about too. Mm-hmm. The minute you plan to go on, actually take time away and go on vacation is when everyone wants your attention. Right. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. So it's like if you're not whole... paying attention, then, then you get attention. Yeah. Right. So the, the humility part. So like the humility when it comes to like this, th- this is where you really need humility. The danger of success is just that it's like, it's, it's, it's the loss of humility. Like you're basically saying that. Well, it's stepping into arrogance. Yeah. And that it's what I'm doing. It's like, I'm initiating. Look how great I am. Look how successful I am. Look at all of the boxes I've checked. Look at my productivity. And, and if they're not successful at that, then it's like, Oh, well that's just circumstance. Had nothing to do with me. And it's like, how, oh, how, the victim role. Yeah. Oh, or yeah, exactly. Or a victim of circumstance, oh. you know, so they don't have the humility to say it was the economy. 
Yeah. You don't have this humility of just saying, you know, on the upside, maybe I got a little lucky on the downside. Maybe I got a little unlucky. Let me have like a, some sort of plan here. Mm-hmm. Some sort of cohesive, like consistency. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about success, again, I was going to say like the, the biggest reinforcer of success is winning over and over again. So for a gambler, it's, you know, the worst thing that could happen to a gambler is they just continue to win because it's continuing to reinforce that they're better than they are. And right, that they're beating the house. Yeah. And they'll keep upping the stakes because why, why right. wouldn't you up the stakes if you believe that you're just always going to win? Mm-hmm. And that's where people get crushed. I mean, it's just where, you know, people take chances they shouldn't be taking. Risky behavior. Risky behavior. And all in like the mindset of like, I know that I'm going to succeed because look, it's happened five times before. Mm-hmm. So that's where my thought process was going with this post that I'm smart, I'm savvy, and that's the reason I'm winning. And so I'm going to continue to win and... And risk more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And more I mean, online. And you also talk about like the dark side of, you know, like those, the VH1, like behind the music. You see like, you know... VH1 behind the music, poison, you know, and every band you could possibly think of. And it just goes through the whole same thing. They're 18 years old. They all get together. They want to be mm-hmm. rock stars. They're having a blast. They're drinking, playing all these things. And it blows up. They're freaking now playing stadiums, right? A few years in. Mm-hmm. And it just goes completely off the rails, right? They become drug addicts. They started out doing something that they wanted to do, a creative pursuit. They wanted to be. There's a passion project. Yeah, uh-huh. like they're making music, right? And you right. know, it's like they're right. doing something that's collaborative, they're doing something that's creative. But then again, success it goes off the uh, rails. Success, give them give them money. Yeah. Give somebody that's 21 a boatload of money, an audience of women that want to sleep with them, and just all the accolades of how great they are. They're like, oh, I am great. I could do whatever the heck I want. I can have whatever I want. Yeah. It's just a sense of entitlement too. Like, you know, even like athletes is where I go with that. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. mil- like they're being paid millions of dollars a year. Absolutely. And then 10 years post-retirement, where are they? Where are they financially? Where are they fulfillment-wise? And you and I talked about the shift in perspective from 20 years ago. So we're both in our 40s. How things have shifted, the things that 20 years ago we thought would bring us fulfillment, whether it was a relationship, the car, the house, whatever, and how things have shifted over time. Just the shift in perspective from how we define success. Yeah. And how we've held on to a lot of those old goals, fantasies, um, ideas of what we wanted. Traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Like fucking marriage. Yeah. So so for you, like maybe marriage, like in your 20s, you're like, of course I'm getting married. Like, let me check that box off. Okay. Yeah. Been there, done that. Divorce is also a job. And I was telling you before we got on that for whatever, like there's some sort of like imagery in my head that I've always had since, since my 20s. That I just wanted to like have a lot of money and just live like a rock star kind of lifestyle where I'd be traveling and partying mm-hmm. and drinking and do mm-hmm. like doing all these things. And I had that kind of imagery, which I think a lot of young guys do have. Do they? I'm curious. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, I would say they do. I mean, I think a lot of guys definitely 
don't think they could ever attain that. So maybe it doesn't, it's sort of like a real distant kind of, Oh, it would be great yeah, to you know, hmm. live like that. But in my mind, I was like, I could, I think I could do that. Like, I think I could achieve that in some way. And it just, so it was in the background. So again, the storyline, this kind of imagery in the background. The story. You know, I'll be on, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll be traveling around to the, you know, the Caribbean and just going, you know, hand gliding and like swimming in the ocean, doing wild things and partying at night all night long. And, and so then I realized that as I got older, again, it wasn't like this crystal clear, like I had this map and I wrote this whole laundry list of like, these are my goals. It was just this kind of imagery in the background. Like, that's what I want. I want to have all this money. I want to have all this free time and adventure in my life and travel. You are so like all the men that I dated yeah. like 20 years ago. Like, <laughs> Well, there you go. So <laughs> I'm not saying anything that you don't know already. No, like, but what ha- I think what happened, so the midlife crisis, right? So the midlife fr- crisis comes in when yeah, guys the, turn 45. The midlife opportunity. Don't call it a crisis. Call well, it a- in my, well, bear with me. All right. So in this context, I'm calling it a crisis because what happens is at 45, that imagery in the background, if it yeah. wasn't ever attained, the guy just gets into des- desperation mode. He's like, I'm freaking 45. Like I'm going to, I'm halfway through my life. If I don't do something drastic now, I need to, I need to fulfill that past fantasy. So they get the sports car they have the affair. They do all like these things that they think are like kind of like rock star kind of lifestyle things. I'm fascinated and right now just listening to you talk. So to, <laughs> so to me, that that is a crisis. It could be an opportunity. It could be definitely something that's like a turning point. So for me, it was like a mixed bag. It was like sort of like, you know, I did still have those feelings, but I think the more I became self-reflective on, I started to realize they're outdated outdated goals, outdated fantasies, outdated things that I had from my 20s that at 47, I don't have that anymore. I don't think in those ways. I don't want to be at an island sipping cocktails all day. I've, I've been on an island. After two days, I'm like, get me the fuck off or you know, let me do something else. Like, let me do something. I can't... It just didn't match up. It wasn't the all match it, the it, Yeah. The reality didn't match the fantasy. Like I said, that's usually the case, right? Like your fan, the fantasy or the reality never lives up to the fantasy. <laughs> right? That's true with a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, da- I don't know how that goes in the danger of success. Well, yeah. So it does go in the danger of success in the sense. We project and we put expectations on it. And expectations is such a powerful word. We put all these expectations on the definition of success. And then when we don't, fulfill those expectations, we're disappointed. You know, we achieve the result and then we're still not fulfilled. And then we're disappointed. Right. Well, I thought getting married was going to make me feel whatever. Right. The reality did not match up to that expectation. And we also talked about the fantasy of being a writer. Like, you know, so... (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, like how it's, whoa, you know, like you're like a celebrity as if you're a famous writer. I'm wrestling with words. Like, it's me and words wrestling. Like, we are on the ground. (laughs) It's like an MMA fight, yeah. Yeah, it's not like just Nirvana, like just sitting with the laptop, just typing. Yeah, and the reality is like, it's a pro. yeah. I mean, sometimes it, sometimes that happens, but... Yeah, like there's moments of it that keep you going. And the bliss of those moments does keep me going, but like I was writing in the middle of the night and this morning, I was up at 3 a.m. But a lot of it's, like, a lot of it's work. Write some words. And I, I read something about Stephen King 
where who's a brilliant writer. I think, and this is paraphrasing, but it was like he was having an interview and or he was giving a lecture or something along those lines. Somebody asked a question, said, you know, what's your process? And I think he said something along the lines again, don't quote me on this. He's got like this routine that he does every day. It's like he writes for like five or six hours, like from yes. six AM to like noon every yes. day. Yeah. Yep. And somebody in the audience was like, Well, the only reason you get to do that is because you're Stephen King and you got all this money and you know you're you have this open schedule to do that. All this success. And hmm. then Stephen King was like, no, it's a, I've always been doing that. Maybe I'm, I'm successful because I started. Because of this it's, process. It's all backward. It's like they... The opposite. The opposite. <laughs> Another opposite. It's all backward. Like, it's like you, you think it's the cart before the horse. Like, oh, we got the success because... He did this process. Yeah, you're. Oh, he's allowed to do that process just because he has. Because he's a best-selling author. It's like, well, everyone's got a story, and it's just you know, some people have the process and the discipline to commit themselves to their passion and to telling their stories, and that's how they become best-selling authors. But just because their name is on a billboard doesn't mean that your story is insignificant is my perspective. Yeah. And that's, that's the other danger of success is that if success is given to you, like maybe at a young age or without having time of process. Or without navigating the fires of life experiences. We've talked about the crucibles of life. Yeah. Imagine the pressure, like the pressure on someone that hasn't navigated. Like you said, yeah. Like this is what perspective do you have when you're 21 and somebody gives you $10 million and says, all right. This is why I can't date younger men. I'm like, I'm patting you on the head. Like, oh, you're cute. Go get some more experience. So true. Well, have fun. Yeah. It's something I've thought about a lot. And I think back. So the funny thing is when I do think back to those fantasies, like especially I grew up in the 80s. Uh-huh. So basically I went to see all the hair bands yep. and like I was all up into that those kinds of concerts. Yep. On Long Island at Nassau Coliseum. I'd go to like every rock concert. And I wanted to be those guys. I'm like, I want to be up there. I want to like have that. And then look at me at 47. I look back. I'm like, if I, if that ever happened to me, I'd be dead by now. I'd be dead or in jail. <laughs> like if I was 21 years old and you threw me on the stage of Madison Square Garden yeah. and you're making millions of dollars, I'd be a drug addict. It would just be a... But that was the fantasy I had back then without knowing because there was no context. All you thought of was the upside. You didn't think of the downside. And I think that's part of the dark side of having grown up in New York too, don't you? Mm. That culture, that indoctrination and the more and more and more. Yeah, we're still in it here in Charlotte though. I mean, that's it feels this not the same, it's different. It's, Charlotte's diluted, but Charlotte is still bank town. And Charlotte is still a bank and finance community. And it's like, I don't want to keep railing against finance. Like I don't have a problem with finance, but well, it's like the people it attracts, you know? I mean, it's, it, is the cult. it seems to be a yeah. a bigger percentage of bad apples. <laughs> it's just for whatever reason, people are... And it's not... Again, I don't think it's majority. I don't even think it's even remotely the majority. I think it's a very small minority, but it's a bigger minority than in other fields. Yeah. Well, Charlotte is what? The second biggest banking city in the country to New York. It sure is. Yeah. Shocking that I end up living here. Like, and I love my house. Like, I really do love my home. Like, I love where I live, my actual home. But like the Charlotte community, there's places that I don't feel safe. There's a lot of places yeah. I don't feel safe being in. Yeah. 
I know we we continue to talk about like the driving too, but like it just seems people are so angry. Maybe it's just the time we're in right now, but like people well, just seem. I'm, my sleep deprived angry. self might have flipped somebody off the other day. <laughs> <laughs> in a parking lot, I'm like, I have not had enough sleep to deal with you. Everyone's in parking lots and at the stores, and I'm just like, could you fucking find the gas pedal? Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I might have lost my temper a bit. Sleep deprivation will do that. Again, the worst form of torture, sleep deprivation. Forget waterboarding. Just keep me awake for like two days, three days. And put you in a room by yourself. So I Yeah, and, and quarantine you. Yeah, it is. It's like, I. it's solitary confinement. It's solitary yeah. confinement and we're not sleeping. And it's just, yeah. we are living in interesting times. It's a bad trip. It's like a, it's a bad, bad acid trip. trip. Yeah. Yes. All right. So dangerous. That was good. <laughs> dangerous of success. You guys all know what we mean. Come on. All you guys out there that are in your twenties. I don't think anybody in their twenties probably listens to this, but maybe they I do. I think we maybe appeal more to a 30 and older crowd, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. See, I, I like, I grew up on Van Halen and poison. I don't know what the new groups are now that you guys are aspiring to be or think See, that you I want to be. See, I love Taylor Swift because she's a beautiful lyricist. I'm not embarrassed to say that I like her too. I love her words. All right. Dangerous success. Next week, we're going to get into what I don't tell my daughter. I love that post. I like all of them. Yeah. But yeah, that one is a really powerful one. Yeah. And I always like, I was kind of brought up on the idea of like your actions speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. Like that, when people, it's not what you tell someone. When people show you who they are, believe them. Yeah, and sometimes like people just talk, and words sometimes are meaningless. Yes, like yes. they just. Oh my god! You could say people. I did. You know, you, you, everybody knows somebody in their life that just talks and just, and they're not acting in the way that they're saying, but they're just saying, "Yeah, this is the way I am. This is the way. This is what I do," and and, and they're not doing anything. And there's an incongruency between there's a disconnect between their words and their actions, like integrity. Yeah, and the infuriating thing for me is those people get through their lives somehow and it works. Like it works for a lot of people. Well, like why are they still living? We got to talk about, we have to do a post on justice. Definitely. Like there's gotta be justice in the soils. <laughs> yeah, that's a new writing prompt for you. Justice. Yeah. You can't run through life just lying and getting away with it. All right. Yeah. Anyway, that, anyway, so, oh, so it was supposed to be a positive <laughs> spin about what I don't tell her that I want to show her. The positive but, spin, yeah, yeah. We just show her like what's you know the not things you ver- model for her, and right. yes, the values. It this, yeah, it's not a verbal thing of saying this is the way I want you to be, and this is the way you should be, and this kids mimic their parents. They they pay attention to everything. They pay attention to the way you are. They're always watching. In your all your relationships. And like even you go to a restaurant. Like I remember the, the way my dad was. Well, the fanatical sports fans, kids. Imagine how they're gonna grow up. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like I, I just remember going to restaurants with my dad and like him like rolling his eyes at like the waiter. Like the little nuances that I picked up on. And I'm like I'm glad I never yeah. met your dad. He's being oh, a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't have liked my dad. You would have loved my mom, wouldn't have liked my dad. All right, anyway. so what I what I don't tell my daughter is for next week. So 
Come follow us, FAConfessions.com. Like, subscribe, share. Review. You'd be getting some really good reviews. Yes. And really appreciate everyone that's kind of taken the time to do that. Yes. But anyway, yeah, great, Diane. We'll see you next week. See you next week.